1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Good morning. Happy New Year. If this is the first time you're listening to us in 2024, I can certainly understand so many people who are out of their familiar rhythms. Coming out of the holidays, oh, this is where you run into a brick wall. A little bit like Jalen Milro ran into the brick wall of the Washington defensive line on what was a fourth down and goal and just bounced off of them right into the teeth of the Michigan defense. Well, that's you today. That's you this morning, right into the teeth of 2024. And if you bounce off, don't get flummoxed. Just get up and try again. It might hurt a little bit. If you've been out of your routine, especially for the course of Christmas and then the week between Christmas and New Year's, like producer Jay, Jay and I have not seen each other since the morning of December 13th until now. So I was out, then he was out. How does it feel to be back host? Well, hosting, hosting the masses. How does it feel to be back on the overnight shift again after all those nights of of sleeping and falling asleep on the couch and doing whatever you wanted, and not having to worry about working these hours.
3: Yes, it is different going back to this, to these hours. Normally I'd say I would, I was falling asleep around like 11 o'clock Eastern time, passing out and waking up. <laughs> I, but the thing is though, even though I was having decent sleeps, I would always wake up around 4, 3, four, a.m. Eastern time. Just always. I don't know why Is my body clock just wants to be up at that time now or not, but you need to change that. I know. But like, I'd be able to go back to bed, but I, every single night it'd be, mm-hmm. hmm, I'm up. I'd be like, oh, it's probably like 4.15. And that's what it was every single time. Interesting. Yeah.
2: It usually took me a full week to get off of the overnight schedule to, my, to cure my body clock of it. And so it was hard to get back. Uh, so this time last week, I was doing a show, I guess it was, yeah, Christmas night, Monday night into Tuesday was my first show back from the after hours super secret home base in Houston. And it was it was tough to be up overnight, even though I had the coffee and I was set up in uh, my husband's home, it was really difficult to get back on the schedule and then harder to sleep the next day because I just wasn't used to sleeping during the daytime. So yeah, for those of you out there, whether you work overnight or you just work early mornings, whether you offer an period of time you were traveling uh, I just said to the hubs I need a vacation from we were not really on vacation but I need another week off <laughs> to recover from <laughs> everything we just went through in the last two and a half weeks but that's just not how it goes you got to work for a living and pay the bills right so happy new year to you happy 2024 here's to blessings and breakthroughs and whatever you need and maybe A little bit of something you never saw coming for 2024. Uh, We are excited to be starting year 12 here on CBS Sports Radio. And I did talk about this yesterday morning, uh, but it is the anniversary or the birthday, whichever, for the CBS Sports Radio Network. January 1st, 2013 was our very first day on the air. Best leap of faith I've ever made. Certainly the best move of my career. And so congratulations to my colleagues, especially the few of us that are left. There's actually a handful of of left from day one who never left. So we've been here the whole time. Uh, Here's to another 11 years, maybe 11 years after that, since 33 is my favorite number. But here, uh, there's no way, like no way I'm still (laughs) doing full-time sports radio in 22 years. (laughs) Could you imagine? (laughs) Wow. I'm sorry. What are you saying? (laughs) Isn't John Sterling in his 80s? He is. Oh, there is not a snowball's chance in hell. I'm still doing full-time CBS sports radio or any other kind of sports radio in my 80s. Now, I get it. They'll have to drag me out of the studio. Maybe not here, but somewhere uh, because I do love what I do. But in my 80s? I
3: think, nah. I think last season was the first time John Sterling had ever like finally stopped going on like extended West coast road trips. And cause he's in his eighties and he always right. never missed a game. He'd, I think he'd gone like multiple decades without missing yeah. a game. It's crazy. Yeah.
2: He's so dedicated and that's why he's synonymous with Yankees baseball, but that is not my path. That is not my life. <laughs> but for now still got to pay the bills uh, anyway, especially those wedding bills. Actually, most of them are paid off. Speaking of the wedding, Producer Jay is back now, which means that we can finally get to the wedding stories. We're going to do that coming up later on this week. So we'll we'll let you know. And really, it is fair warning. For those of you who don't care and who don't want to hear anything about the wedding, that's fine. But I did promise stories to those of you who care. And there are plenty of stories, believe you me, of all the things that went wrong. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> so much went wrong
3: any good stories
2: yeah no there's amazing stories what mattered that went better than I expected even even better than I planned oh but yes there were moments that ha. Huh. you know how people say to or have said to me really for months now it'll be a blur you won't remember anything mm-hmm. I mean, that's bs in fact I wish that I couldn't remember some of the moments oh, that no. went <laughs> wrong <laughs> so for now, anyway, it's all very sharp in my memory bank, and I do remember everything about it. But the majority of it was 100% positive, and most importantly, the reunion with family and friends and the people that were there, the connections, the laughter, the joy, the weekend itself was was unforgettable. And, and I am so thankful for all the people who were part of it. But yes, there are... Funny stories. No, I did not trip walking down the aisle. Okay,
3: that's good. are <laughs> averted there.
2: Um, but the unity candle did not go as planned. Trust me when I say that there was a wardrobe malfunction there. Uh, of sorts. Of sorts. So anyway. People keep asking, and so we'll do that a little bit later in the week when there's kind of a calm after this football storm of of the current weekend or this past weekend, New Year's weekend, and then before we get into week 18 of the NFL, which is, by the way, followed very closely by the College Football Playoff National Championship, which will feature number one versus number two. Now, I'm with you. For those people who maybe eastern time zone, central time zone, or maybe some of you even in the mountain time zone. Heck, I've got friends who go to bed at 9 o'clock. I don't know how they do it, but they do. In fact, we've got colleagues who go to bed right after the sun goes down these days in the wintertime because of the hours they work. So if you work odd hours or off hours, will you recognize that you can't always stay up for a game that's as late as this one? The Sugar Bowl in New Orleans did feature Washington as the number two team. That's a Pac-12 team, uh, Pacific Northwest, which means when the game hit halftime and got into its second half, it was still only 8 o'clock on the West Coast. The problem is you're going to lose a, a good chunk of your audience in you know the the time zones right of the Mississippi when it drags on so late. And these games are so long because of all the – the commercials, but also because of the halftime shows, they take forever, uh, and so yeah, as the Rose Bowl dragged on, and it really, the timing was dictated by the Rose Bowl, right? You know, the Rose Bowl is special, and knows it's special, uh, and so the the timing for the Rose Bowl was really what dictated when the Sugar Bowl would start as the second half of the doubleheader. And there wasn't a whole lot that the college football playoff committee could do about it, especially wanting the Rose Bowl to participate and needing the Rose Bowl to participate for expansion coming up next year. But I digress. So if you went to bed knowing you had to start your work year on the morning of January 2nd, well, you missed... Quite the finish between Texas and Washington. Uh, Gosh, you want to talk about games that are hard on the ticker. This one went down to the wire, even though it didn't look like it was heading that direction, especially not after a brilliant performance by Michael Penix Jr., who's the quarterback for Washington.
3: Penix takes a shotgun snap. Texas rushes four, steps up in the pocket, eludes, fires a fastball, and it's knocked away, bobbled and caught. Touchdown, Jalen Polk. Are you kidding me? Jalen Polk. Holds on to the football. It was deflected by Malik Muhammad and Jalen Polk. Big play, JP. Huskies take a 20 to 14 lead. He was just setting it up to himself. He did think I'm going to catch this thing twice. Snap to Penix, play fake. Penix, holds, fires, fastball, caught. J-Mac, touchdown Washington! A fastball, 19 yards right down the middle of the field. Jalen McMillan holds it in. What a beautiful catch by J-Mac, who was so clutch in the Pac-12 championship game with nine receptions. His fourth touchdown catch of the year, and the Huskies reclaim the lead at the Sugar Bowl.
2: No doubt, NFL general managers, scouts, coaches, salivating over Michael Penix. Oh, my goodness. He has such incredible touch with the football. He can blast a throw. He he can fire it in on a rope or a bullet or whatever it is, a, a bow and arrow. He's got real nice acceleration as well as accuracy with a deep ball, but he also has loft and he has touch. He has a softness to his passes when he needs them to not be bullets. the the holes and the spaces that he finds with his receivers. So confident when he takes aim and fires. And I love seeing that. And it really does help that Washington has played in 10 straight games decided by 10 points or fewer because that confidence and that calm obviously helps him make the throws that he needs to under duress and under pressure. And there was pressure from Texas. They really just couldn't finish the deal. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence here on CBS Sports Radio. So Penix throws for 430 yards and a couple of touchdowns that you hear there on Learfield IMG. Late in the game, though. Now, this had not been the case for the majority of the first, what, two-thirds of the game, even on into the fourth quarter before Quinn Ewers of Texas was able to find any real momentum with his passing game, mostly... It was that Texas offensive line and the run game for the Longhorns that was moving them. But yeah, the second half had been relatively stagnant actually for both teams offensively where the defenses had the upper hand. But late third quarter into the fourth quarter, finally there's a spark with the passing game for Texas.
3: Viewers the snap, turns, looks, throws it for the end zone. It is caught. Touchdown, Texas. Adonai Mitchell pulls it down in the corner. A.D. spinning around to pull it down for a Longhorn touchdown.
2: That's the call with Craig Way on Learfield IMG. So with about seven and a half minutes to go, Texas pulls within six points. And the reason it was six points is because Michigan had missed not just a point after, but also a field goal. So four points left out there. Did I say Michigan? Sorry. Washington uh, had, had left four points Out there on, that was Michigan, Amy. This is what happens after a long night of talking about college football. Uh, Yeah, it was 34-28. Let's just go back to that point and forget what I said after that. (laughs) We'll get to Michigan, Alabama, and the missed kicks. So they exchanged field goals after that, and the spread remains the same. Texas forces a three and out, and here's where you started to see the questions, whether it be on social or even on the broadcast, you could hear them talking about, why not Neil. Why not run as much time off the clock as you possibly can? Why not leave Texas as little time as possible when you finally give them the ball back? And so maybe you can't run out the entire clock, but you can certainly leave far less time than what was out there. When Texas finally gets the ball back, again, Quinn is able to work, the, work a couple of sideline passes pick up a couple of chunk plays. And again, this has not been what they've done for most of the game. And they get inside the red zone and now they've got to take shots at the end zone because there's so little time left on the clock. So I guess if you look back to Washington's final possession, one part of the strategy, though I don't love the clock management from Kalen DeBoer, but one part of the strategy could have been, hey, let's make sure Texas uses all of its timeouts. But again, with the kneel downs, you're taking more time off the clock and potentially not in a situation where the Longhorns have three shots at the end zone and your defense has to come up with stop after stop.
3: The most stressful play maybe in Washington Husky football history. Can the Dogs' defense get the stop on fourth and 11? Ewers takes the shotgun snap. He's back to pass. Pressure coming. Throws the fade. Yes! Yay! We're going Elijah to Elijah Jackson knocked it yeah! away! Elijah Jackson knocks the ball away! The Huskies are headed to Houston! <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> Tony Husky Nation! You're Alicia go Jackson, win a natty, baby! He looks it away, and Washington is headed to Houston to play the Michigan Wolverines for their first national championship since 1991.
2: This will be quite a swan song for the Pac 12 as we know it. Washington has a national championship. In college football, but it goes back to the days before there was the BCS or the playoff. It was a shared national championship uh, in the early 90s, and it was based on rankings and votes. Here are the Huskies. Maybe days before the demise of the Pac-12. Which is coming. In fact, Washington is departing for the Big Ten. But the Pac-12 will have a chance to win its first college football playoff national championship. Now on the strength of a 14-0 record. And as I say, Michael Penix dazzling through the air, picked apart the Texas secondary. They really had no answer for him the majority of the game. But it was the defense. And he had to stand and watch the defense come up with a stop to preserve this win.
3: They've done it all year. You know, you've seen it so many times uh, each and every week, you know, throughout the season, you know, them, them coming up with big time stops and big time moments. So um, it, we, it was just waiting for the play, and it was bound to happen, but um, just super blessed. And, you know, uh, we, we were all believing on the sidelines.
4: thought we played a really sharp game um, in a lot of ways, a couple opportunities that were missed. Um, unfortunate situation with the clock and thought we'd end up with just a you know maybe uh 10-15 seconds to have to work with and then go the whole length of the field but um you know the defense had to stay out there and and play every down till the very end and so proud of the resiliency and finding another way to win a football game.
2: Kaitlin DeBoer and Michael Penix the relationship they have is really the foundation for what the Huskies are doing now. Uh, he knew Michael from his days as an O.C. at Indiana. And when he got the head job at Washington, you probably heard the story by now, when they he got the head job at Washington, he reached out to Penix to ask him if he'd be interested uh, in joining him. And so Penix is a guy who not only knows Kalen DeBoer in the system, but is able to communicate that with his receivers. And you can see how well-prepared they are, but also how his calm and his poise allows him to deliver on really any throw that he needs to make. And 430 yards, even though the game was still hanging in the balance in the very last seconds, the fact that he could have really the, the pick of the litter, if you will, the pick of the playbook, And the throws that he made, gosh, already feels like he could compete on Sundays. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. For the Texas Longhorns, as they come up short, head coach Steve Tarkeesian is answering questions about the play calling there in the final seconds.
4: There's a belief in our style and what we do, and – and I think it showed this season. You know, there, there was a lot of games that came down to the wire for us this year. We found a way to win. And we put ourselves in position again tonight to, to, to have a chance to win the game. It just didn't happen. Uh, but I think that that just speaks to the, the mental toughness that these guys have, the resiliency, um, and also the, the the connection that they have for one another.
5: We're just trying to
3: take a shot at the end zone, um, obviously, because if you fall short, like you said, the game's going to be over. So. Um. You no, know, just was looking to give my guys an opportunity to go make a play at the end of the day. Um, you know, that's all you can really do.
2: Quinn Ewers is 24-43 for 318 yards and a touchdown, uh, but I think had just 97 passing yards in the first half. So it took a while for him and the Longhorns offense to get off the ground. Uh, so to speak. They were well over 100 yards rushing in the first half and had the three touchdowns all on the ground. This game was tied at half, and it was really exciting. I mean, it, it did keep you sucked in until the very end. In fact, the the finish at the Sugar Bowl plus the finish in overtime at the Rose Bowl were kind of hard on the ticker. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, good stuff. I I would say, as much as this is not validation or... Not necessarily a way, I think, to evaluate what the college football playoff committee ended up with. The fact that we got two very competitive semifinals played at the highest level, at least I think should go a long way toward credibility for the committee. And as I say, we end up with number one versus number two. Coming up, we'll hear from Jim Harbaugh who has been through quite a year and yet has the last laugh as the Wolverines outlast the Alabama Crimson Tide. And Nick Saban, oh no, it's been three whole years without a national championship. Good morning to you. Happy New Year. Some things never change, but man, some things can be so different in a year. I love that. I love the fresh start. And I certainly love the fact that as a network, we've celebrated another birthday. So thanks for hanging out with us here on this Tuesday morning, get up, get back to work, you lazy butts. (laughs) It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio.
3: Michigan 34, low snap, but he is able to get to McClellan, who breaks free, Chase McClellan, touchdown run, Alabama strikes first, Milrose struggled to secure it, but when he got it to Jace McClellan, he was off like a rocket, 34 yards off the right side, touchdown, Second down and four at the Alabama 8-yard line.
4: Coram is in at the running back. McCarthy in the shotgun. The tight end, Barner, now comes to the tight formation on the left side. Michigan moving left to right. McCarthy back
3: to pass. Is able to get it complete and into the end zone is Blake Coram. He was wide open, leaking out of the backfield, and brings it right across the goal line. Touchdown, Wolverine. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence.
2: Early on, there was plenty of quick strike ability, big plays for both Alabama and Michigan. Uh, though Michigan's mistakes often led to Alabama's opportunities, and the tide would take advantage. Uh, we saw a healthy dose early on of. Blake Corum and his versatility in the Wolverines offense and also JJ McCarthy and how well he works with his uh, various weapons that he has around him. It's after hours with Amy Lawrence here on CBS sports radio. Uh, so the uh, Wolverines had a 13, 10 lead at the break. It was a modest lead, but what stood out of course is that defense, the five sacks of Jalen Milroe in the first half. And once they got to the third quarter, things kind of settled, uh, right? So you didn't see any points in the third quarter, and instead uh, the defense was really flexing its muscles. So Bama uh, was finding some momentum with its run game as well between Milroe and Jace McClellan. Uh, early fourth quarter, they are able to power downfield for a touchdown, and with McClellan's second of the game, you see the Tide take the lead yet again. Now here's where you kind of wondered – Which team's mistakes would be the most costly? All right, so Michigan not only misses a point after attempt, but also misses a field goal. Now, this is James Turner. So there's four points left on the board. Alabama had a fumble there in the fourth quarter, which led to actually the miss kicked for the Wolverines. Uh, Meanwhile, just on on the opposite end of things, It's kind of cool to see the kicking success of Alabama after all the years in which special teams was um, a flaw for them. But Will Reichard, who's a senior now, had a pair of field goals that were 50-plus yards last night. And so Bama has a seven-point lead with under five minutes to go in the Rose Bowl. It's after hours on CBS Sports Radio. You can find us on Twitter, after hours CBS, or on our Facebook page. This Rose Bowl game... Traditionally has featured Big Ten, right in Pac twelve, and that is what we'll get coming up in the national championship. Although this iteration was about the national semifinal, there were roses on hand, by the way. Uh, Michigan has to step on it, and while we hadn't seen much from JJ McCarthy and his passing attack, really in the second half, man. When he starts to spread the ball around, and late in the fourth quarter, it was Roman Wilson, starts to spread the ball around, they become even more dangerous. In fact, I'm watching the game as it airs again here and there at the exact same place where the Wolverines found a groove. And I love that about these teams, all these top four teams, and really the best teams in college football, is that you may think you have them under wraps. The defenses can be in firm control. And then you'll see these huge plays that tilt the game on its edge.
4: From the 34-yard line, J.J. in a shotgun. Takes the snap. Back to pass. Has a pocket. Steps up, fires over the middle, caught by Roman Wilson at the 20! 15-10, Roman Wilson knocked out of bounds inside the five! What a catch by Roman Wilson who climbed the ladder and has Michigan knocking on the door with 2.07 to go. 29 yards to Roman Wilson and Michigan has it first and goal from the Alabama five-yard line. Clock running, minute 48 to go. J.J. takes the snap fires. He's got Roman Wilson who will walk into the end zone. Touchdown, Wolverines. J.J. McCarthy's third
2: touchdown of the game, and Michigan has cut it to a one-point game. The call on Learfield IMG. That kick was good, and so the game was tied with about 90 seconds to go. Uh, There was another opportunity, or there was going to be another opportunity for Michigan, but there was a second muffed punt in this game if you can believe that in fact the three uh, the two winning teams excuse me on Monday night both of them ended up with muffed punts but the second one for michigan Almost cost them. Uh, So you had J.J. McCarthy taking his final snaps from inside his own end zone and just trying to avoid a safety. So they go conservative. They play for overtime. Bama actually wins the coin flip and chooses to go on defense first. And it wasn't long before Michigan had, again, kept that momentum and gotten back into the end zone.
4: JJ takes the snap, hands it off to Corum outside to the 15. Hesitates to the 10. Blake Corham inside the five. Blake Corham with an outstanding run, touchdown Wolverines. And John, that may be one of the best runs of Blake Corum's career. And Michigan takes a six-point lead here in overtime.
3: I tell you what, that was a great job. What a beautiful, beautiful run. Play call and execution by this Michigan offense.
2: Alabama gets a shot, of course, because that's the overtime rules in college football. And there were a couple of plays to get inside the nine-yard line where, yeah, the game came to a stunning end. Not so much because Alabama couldn't get inside the end zone uh, by trying to run it three different times. But just the way the game finished uh, with Jalen taking a snap and running, boom, straight. Well, he tried to run straight up the middle. And even with a full head of steam, as much as you can get by going, I don't know, six or seven steps, he just bounced off the strength of the, the Michigan defense, which is that D line. He was never going to go through it. I don't care if they're doing tush push and there's seven people pushing him, which of course wasn't happening. Um, I know this is normally a play that they're very successful on, but this was Michigan, one of the best defenses in the country, and it it almost looked like a little kid running into two full grown men. And I I'm not insulting Jalen Milrow, just that he never was going to get through the teeth of the defense. Instead, could have bounced outside, could have rolled around either to the left or the right, and would have had wide open space. But Michigan read it perfectly and played it perfectly and was able to stuff the run three times from inside the nine-yard line to win the Rose Bowl. So, yeah, congratulations to Michigan. I do think it's humorous uh, that Jim Harbaugh, after the year that he's been through and which he... Had the suspension uh, for the, I guess, reported knowledge of a team employee or a school employee scouting games in person, buying tickets and scouting games in person. And the uh, the sportsmanship violations, according to the Big Ten, he ultimately accepts the suspension and is held up as a poster child, if you will. Uh, but he has maintained all along that he had faith and confidence in not just his coaching staff, but also the players. We know that he loves them. He tells them all the time. It's kind of funny. That's what he tells him is I love you. I love you too. Uh, and he and JJ McCarthy specifically have a really sweet relationship. And so, yeah, he big smile on his face, even though he wanted his players to be in the spotlight, big smile on his face following this Rose Bowl win.
6: Glorious. That was glorious. It was a tremendous football game. Congratulate. Uh, Alabama on a terrific game, and they're, uh, they're great players and coaching staff, and their their fans. That um, was an epic game, and uh, glorious is how uh, I feel. That was a uh, tremendous win. It just means everything, you know, just think about how far we've come, all the, you know, hardships that we went through as a team and as a brotherhood. Just being able to do it on this stage, you know, it's been 26 years since Michigan won in this building and, you know, the second most appearance out of any college in the entire country uh, playing in this game. So, you know, it's just amazing the way it happened, but, you know, ultimately it's everything that Coach said. We can't do it without the unity that we have. Everything that we went through this entire year, it made us unbreakable and and the biggest moments we were going to show up.
2: J.J. McCarthy had a, the stem of a rose in his mouth and was all smiles following the win, uh, though it was the defense. And, again, it's, it's re-airing right now on ESPN here in studio, so I'm seeing some of these big moments. Uh, they're just about to get to the second muffed punt that nearly <laughs> was the undoing of Michigan and the emotions on the sidelines. But McCarthy, 221 yards and three touchdowns, and now, obviously, the national championship that's in Houston next Monday. Uh, coming up, Harbaugh has yet another message for those haters and detractors or those who... Uh, didn't believe in Michigan, but also uh, was were ready to pile on him throughout the course of the season. And then Nick Saban on what went wrong against the Wolverines in that final play of the game where Milroe is bouncing off the interior defensive line of Michigan. It's quite the ending. This is quite the ending in both games, right? But drama is what we live for in sports, so good to the last drop. Oh, that muff punt nearly gave me a heart attack. It's After Hours with a.
5: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
4: You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Jalen Milrow in a shotgun. Game on the line. Fourth and goal from the three. Milrow puts a man in motion. Empty backfield. Low snap. Quarterback run up the middle. Yeah! He's not going to make it. Nowhere close. As the Michigan defense stops Jalen Milroe, and the Wolverines <laughs> will play the Houston championship one week from tonight.
3: We're playing Cover Zero. You know, uh, you know. Coach was telling us, you know, all time, like, you know, this is the moment we were built for. This is the moment we're, we're, you know, we come out here and play for. You we knew exactly what was gonna happen. You know, it's like when, when the moments gets tough, who, who you go to? You always go to your best player, they went to their best player, and we were right there to stop it. You know, so we just we sent the house. You know, like I said it's fourth down, it's one last play. Everybody strained, everybody strained to the ball. This is After Hours with Amy
0: Lawrence,
2: the voice of Junior Colson explaining the Michigan defensive stop. None bigger in their entire season than the one on the last handoff of the game. And Jalen Milrow never had a chance. Like, never had a shot to get through that defensive line. Why that call? Because, again, if, if what Junior is telling us is that they knew he was their best player and that is one of their best plays, but you're also going against the best defense. Sometimes the best strategy is to hit them where they're not looking or to take the ball where they're not. And you knew they were going to be stuff in the box. What's that adage about immovable force meets, no wait, im, Im shoot, unmovable force and something, something object.
3: Inmo- unmovable force, <laughs> immovable object. Some no, of, it's mm. not,
2: it's not move. the. Sa- I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, because that's that's what that moment felt like.
3: Unstoppable force?
2: There you go. Unstoppable Maybe. force, immovable object. Let's see. I'm Googling. Usually you're the one that Googles these types. Yep. Unsta- way to go, Jay. I am very impressed. Look at you on point for January 2nd, 2024. Unstoppable force and immovable object. Well, the immovable object was that Texas defensive line. <laughs> So, why that play call, Nick Saban? Because that is the question on this Tuesday morning.
7: Tommy just felt like the best thing that we could do uh, was have a quarterback run, uh, which was kind of our two-point play, one of our two-point plays for this game. And the ball was on the three-yard line, which is just like a two-point play. So, but we didn't get it blocked, so it didn't work. We didn't execute it very well, and it didn't work. And they pressured and... We thought they would pressure, uh, but we thought we could gap them and block, block them and make it work, and it didn't. You win some, you lose some. This all part of the game, you know. Uh, with anything, you know, all it, all it came down was back to your level of training, and we just failed on that play. That's all it was, you know, because at the end of the day, I just trusted the guys up front for believing me on the last play to have the ball. And unfortunately, we just, we just missed, and we just didn't get in the end zone.
2: Jayla Milrow was very frustrated when this game was done. In fact, it looked like he headed straight for the locker room. I don't know whether or not he turned around and congratulated the Wolverines on the field, but I do know that he slammed his helmet down. He was decidedly frustrated, uh, I'm sure, with himself more than anybody else. So for Alabama, it's a whole three years without a national championship. Oh, no, too bad, so sad. I know that around the nation – Sports fans of other teams feel just as badly about Alabama and its drought as people did for the New England Patriots during any type of drought, maybe a couple months or so, for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. There were plenty of mistakes for Nick Saban's team. Uh, so a couple of botched handoffs between Milroe and his center, as well as... The, the fumble late that didn't end up costing them only because of the missed field goal. Yeah, each team left points out there. I think ultimately what Nick Saban said after the game is that we knew it would come down to our execution or lack thereof.
7: Not one particular thing. Um, there was a couple times when we could have redirected the protection, uh, which we kind of put on the O-line uh, to a large degree, and we didn't do it. A couple of times the shot clock was running down and we didn't get a chance to do it. And a couple times we didn't fan and mis it up front in terms of getting the right guys blocked when we were in the right protection. So it was a combination of several things.
2: People have speculated this could be the end for Nick Saban. I don't know why. Just every year it's going to be this way for Nick because of his age and his success and he has nothing left to prove and all that jazz. But there's been no indication. To me, it's more just rumors. Cause I guess if you continue to predict it or talk about it after every college football season, eventually you'll be right. It's after hours with I don't Amy Lawrence. This
7: question. <laughs>
2: Here on CBS Sports Radio. College football would be like a ship without a rudder without Nick Saban. It just would not be the same thing. But Jim Harbaugh's got plenty of personality to go around. This was Jim following the Rose Bowl victory and just the defiance with a smile, because it's glorious, right? But still, the defiance.
6: It's just the way this team is built, um, and the way how connected they are as as players, and and we are as a team. It's it's unanimous support for each and every guy, and um, you know, it's almost been an unfair advantage. I mean, all the things that that uh, you know, the, the team has gone through, I mean, we don't care anymore. We don't care what people say. We don't care about uh, um, anything that comes up. We just know we're going to overcome it uh, because it's unanimous support from uh, every single guy on the team.
2: He wants his players to be in the spotlight. He doesn't crave the spotlight. And I really love the fact that he and his brother John both have the same tagline. Who's got it better than the Wolverines? And from the stage, he he yelled that, and the fans responded, nobody. But it's the same thing that John says about the Ravens. Who's got it better than the Ravens? Nobody's got
6: it better than the Ravens.
2: Exactly. And, man, it could be a really sweet beginning for the Harbaugh family to 2024. We'll see. Number one versus number two. Next Monday night it's after hours on our Facebook page or also on our show Twitter after hours, CBS, we are back and better than ever to start year 12 as a network uh, CBS sports radio was just a baby back on January 1st, 2013, but Oh, look how much we've grown. Look how many steps we've taken. Look how far we have come. It's an honor to be here and honor to start another year with you. So we're we'll back tonight for the hump show. I know you're going to be feeling it. You're getting back into your rhythm, your routine. You got this. You're going to crush it today. I just know it. It's After Hours on CBS Sports Radio.
1: Boom! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.